You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We have a special holiday edition of the Family Feud Podcast, probably because when this comes out, we'll be around Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We're thankful for you for listening to this podcast. I just want to know if someone is listening to this on Thanksgiving as their escape from their family or from uh, a function they're, they're going to, I want somebody to tweet at us that, that they're listening to this or to send us an email that this was their escape. Hashtag FFS escape. <laughs> But that'd be kind of sad. I feel like there's other ways to escape that's better than us, to be honest. Wow, you're selling a short. <laughs> or maybe maybe they're on their way to their Thanksgiving function, and we're here to pass the time. Could be. We'll see. I, I want to see what people say. You know, send us yeah, an email. Just tell me what you're doing. Tell send us, us an email to thefamilyfeudpod at gmail.com. Well done, Chaka. Or you know, send us a tweet. Either one. Yeah. So exactly. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast, like Shotgun said, at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who did that. We'll be answering your questions and comments at the later part of the show. But Shotgun, like I said, Thanksgiving, it is sort of a chiller week than what we're used to. <laughs> USC's regular season came to an end. We didn't know if it was going to be chill. And to True. to pull the curtain back, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so maybe I just set off in motion the ultimate jinx of no holiday for us. But so far, nothing really has happened. We've heard things for sure, but nothing official from USC. But USC is coming off a win, beating their rival UCLA 52-35, to an offensive performance of historic proportions. You probably heard it all by now. Keaton Slovis setting the single-game record for passing yards. USC had four wide receivers go for over 100 yards receiving and the USC's offense scored more than 50 points for the first time since the Rose Bowl against Penn State I guess shotgun before we get into stock up overall thoughts from into the regular season and just that game in general the regular season technically is not over you know because True. obviously the, the USC has their second bye week which is the reason why we do not have a game normally during Thanksgiving week we're preparing you know the team has a you know, practices on Tuesday and Wednesday, so you know we don't get to go anywhere as far as going to see family or anything like that. Uh, but this year they have the bye. USC's coaches will be watching on Saturday to see what happens with Utah and Colorado. Clay Helton said that they will actually be preparing for Oregon starting today. You know, on Tuesday, uh, so we'll see. What happens on Saturday? I don't think there's gonna it's gonna even be a game. I think that the spread is now like 21, 28. So you know Vegas doesn't think it's gonna be a game either. But it's college football. You never know. You know Colorado has a guy. You play to win the game. Hold on, I just realized what I cut you off from doing. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you know Colorado has a guy, right? Do they, Shaka? Lavisca. Yes! I didn't know if it would return again. That's so exciting. Yeah, so if they get him involved and he has a monster game, I mean, what happened in the USC-Utah game? Someone had a monster game named Michael Pittman, mm-hmm. Lidnikov finalist, and that LaVisca may be a higher draft pick than Michael Pittman, you know, just depending on how he, you know, what his health record is when he goes to the combine and different things and how both of those guys test. So, you know, they have an elite receiver as well. Can he single-handedly 
beat that man-to-man coverage that Utah's going to throw at them, that's going to be the question mark. Uh, and, and they have some weapons there, and Steven Montez has played pretty good at times this season. When he plays good, the team plays well. It's it's basically been it. He's been the key to their, their success or failures this season. I just don't think that Colorado's defense is going to stop Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. Now, who knows? Who Some, knows? Someone rolls an ankle. You know, suddenly things change. I mean, that, that was a big part of the, the USC-Utah game was that Zach Moss got injured and was out for the final three quarters, basically. So, uh, you know, when you take away a dynamic weapon like that, because both those guys have been so good this season, things can change a lot. But USC will be waiting and watching that. You know, coming off this win, the biggest thing to take away from this UCLA win is the difference from this year and last year. Last Without year, Last year they were leading that game. 24-21 at halftime, I believe it was. Uh, you know, they were ahead in that game for sure. They didn't score after half. And that was the difference. You know, the the offense in the in this year's game, USC's offense continued to stockpile points. You know, the the defense last year did a decent job in the second half. The de- defense wasn't great in the second half. They were they were bad in the second half against uh, you know, if you give it 21 points and a half, that's a probably a bad job, or at least not good. Uh, but they got the n- enough stops at the end, and the offense just kept rolling the entire time, and that mm-hmm. that was the difference. And that's something we've seen the last couple weeks is that USC's offense continued to pile on. That's been a, a huge difference from last year in both the Cal and the UCLA games, both games where USC had halftime leads and couldn't hold it. This year, the offense and it's 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 starting to roll. You know, if you want to if you want to say it's you know that it's clicking now. Or if it's just very bad defenses they're facing. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it's both. I think you can definitely see that Keaton has confidence and, he, and he's much more sure in his abilities. And then you have a guy like Drake London, much better than what we've seen, you know, in the BYU game, the UW game. But then also, you still came into the the game with the 123rd passing defense in in the nation. Now they're 129th. But you know, bad defenses and a and a team and offense finally clicking, I think, makes for the perfect storm in what you saw on Saturday. And just the the ability to actually put that into fruition, I guess you know, to be able to capitalize on those things. Yeah, you know, you can move the ball up and down the field, but if you don't put it in the end zone, you know, you don't get points. That's kind of how this game works. Wow, it's crazy. Shotgun. So they could have rolled up a bunch of yards against UCLA and settled for field goals or had turnovers. They didn't have those things happen, even when they had some penalties and stuff. Things that have really derailed some drives previously this year but especially last year yeah last year they get a penalty it was just like okay this is over for the drive they were able to overcome those things in this game I mean getting a, a 15 yard hands to the face when you're you know right outside being first and goal you know it was first and 10 but you know going down towards the goal line um, on that one didn't matter they were able to overcome that and there were a couple different times where there was penalties or you know sacks that should have you know just could have stopped them completely in the past. They just kept rolling through it. Now, part of that is the UCLA's defense is boo-boo. Let's be honest. Uh, they're not very good. There were open receivers all day. And then there were a couple times when Keaton Slovis would throw a ball and just zip one in there, and the DB's got to be going, what the hell is going on? Like, I got good coverage, finally. Finally, I got good coverage. Didn't matter. Slovis was dealing. Uh, and that's what happens when you start rolling a little bit. The confidence gets up, just like you said. You make the easy throws, but then you also make the hard ones too. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen from Slovis. He's doing a great job moving around the pocket, doing different things like that. Um, and the offense has done really well the last few weeks. And 
that's kind of what it was supposed to look like, you know, and that's how it has been, and that's why you beat UCLA convincingly, I think. Even though it wasn't a blowout, per se, like the Cal game was, I think it was very convincing the way they won that game. You know, UCLA's fan base, I don't think they ever felt in that second half that they were going to come back and win that game. Even when even when they scored and made it 10 points, like... A little bit, a little bit. I don't bit. think so, because they weren't getting the stops. You know, they got yeah. one... They, I think they forced one punt in the second half, uh, and that, that may have been the late one. I'll have to check and, and see for sure. But you know, they just they just weren't consistently getting stops there to feel like okay, if we just get the ball back, we're gonna do we're gonna stop them, and, and then we'll go down and score. It just wasn't that that type of game for them. I will say though, they came back from a worse deficit this season against Wazoo. So you could see at that point. So, this is a so. dumb thing to argue, but you could see the. UCLA writers were going. A, they were tweeting, "Hey, you never know. UCLA's done it before." So, just saying. And UCLA and USC has given up. Writers and leads. fans are two different things. Sure, but I don't have the beat on the <laughs> UCLA fans. So whatever. Anyway, we've done too much overall. Let's just get into Stocko because it will probably cover what we're saying. Stocko, who you got? I'm gonna start with uh, on the defensive side. Actually, surprisingly, yes. You know, should we just go ahead and say Keaton Slovis? Yes. <laughs> Four wide receivers getting 100 yards. Yes. yes, let's just put all those guys in stock sure. up. We don't have to, you know, go over them too much here. My only point about Keen Slovis is, and I said this on Tunnel Vision, but I'm really curious just the mental aspect where he's at right now because that was something that Graham Harrell kept pointing to when he would have mistakes and when they'd have poor games or losses, going up tempo, trying to get him out of his head. I'm very curious where he's at right now. Where do you have to really go up tempo, or is he just settled in? Where he, even if he does make a mistake, he can turn over a new leaf faster than what he did earlier. Yeah, I think if you wanted to put Keaton Slovis's mental sure. aspect, you could put it on there. Get more specific there. Yeah, but just as far as just overall, wide receivers, four guys going 100. What USC has said is the fourth time that they've found that's happened in NCAA football. So, or in I don't know if it's D1 or BCS. I don't know exactly how they worded it, but first time ever at USC. Yeah. First time since Graham Harrell was a backup quarterback at Texas Tech with Mike Leach, so that was a long time ago, even though Graham Harrell looks really young. It's still <laughs> a while back. Uh, but let's start on the defensive side for sure. me. Troy Palomalu's impact. Mm. So Troy Palomalu was there to be honored for being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. He is also has just been announced that he's a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in his first year. So congratulations to him on those things. Mm-hmm. But he was there, and he's not often around the program. He's a quiet guy. He's enjoying his family time and stuff. Technically, it was family time being in the locker room. Double family. With Isaiah Polamau being, uh, being in the family as well. But his impact just seeing the players, how much they had kind of adored that moment. Yeah. But also the former players, you know, a friend of the show, Taylor Mays, you know, had to get a pick with him. Vianney Talamavayo tweets out, you know, the reason why he was a USC Trojan fan growing up was Troy Palomalu, so to get to meet him was really cool. And then just having him in the locker room, breaking things down, and then the safeties go out and have really good games. You know, Isaiah Polamau, I, I thought, played pretty well, but Talano Hufunga was ridiculous. He was all over the place. 18 tackles, the most since Troy Polamalu at USC. So so crazy. Yeah, I think 18 years prior, too. Weird 18. 18 for 18? Too bad Talano doesn't wear 18. Then that would have been freaky. But, you know, I just think that him being there, I think that spurred on some of those guys. And I think they were really excited about the the chance to meet him. Talanoa, 
you know, he's from Oregon, just like Troy was. There's a lot of similarities there in the way they kind of play. Let's not put them in the same category yet, but similarities there. And Talanoa is is a guy that just flies around the ball and continues to make plays every time he's in there. He's he's made a huge impact when he's been healthy this season. So, you know, just seeing the impact he's making on the field, a little bit of similarities to the impact that Troy made when he was on the field. So the Troy Polamolo impact kind of just encompassing all those things together. Stock up. And it was cool enough that USC's uh, social media accounts did something that I was not expecting them to do. They tweeted out a, fo- a video of him in the DB huddle before the game, but they did so with a recruit in there. And now they blurred out his face, but still, USC's compliance is very like no recruits, no video ever of anything. <laughs> but you know, Troy was so cool that they had to they had to tweet it out anyway. They had to find a way around compliance there. Yes, for sure. I had stuck up on Vivai Malapai, watching Ooh, him one. pregame. And watching what he did in the game were night and day for me. He kind of looked like, okay. And the thing was, I was very skeptical pregame. Because this was the third time in a row that we've seen him warm up during pregame in a uniform. And then, you know, he the last two weeks he came out and didn't uh, wasn't in uniform. So I was like, okay, we'll see. I was very hesitant. And then he comes out there. He, he ran hard. He ran harder than I expected him to. And he made good cuts. And I was skeptical about that knee. But he, he looked like much more pure true to form vi than i was expecting two touchdowns on the day so stuck up for him one of of the favorite things about his two touchdowns is the first touchdown is like a a two-yard run or whatever he kind of bowls in behind michael Pittman and some other guys you know it's the the tight formation they like to run when they get close to the goal line or on third and shorts he he basically bullies in behind michael Pittman. Pittman's pushing someone in front of him he's pushing Pittman. he falls in Vi jumps up and he's like helping everybody up. It's like the opposite of of what normally happens on a touchdown. Usually everyone comes over to lift the running back up. He's jump, he's like pulling Michael Pittman up. He's pulling the lineman up. So much so that I had a bad view just because it's so bright and I'm watching through my viewfinder. I thought Pittman had did like I thought Pittman <laughs> was the guy who had the ball in his hand. So I actually, if you look at my highlights, I follow Pittman instead of Vi because Vi just didn't have the same body language. He also did this like weird like yes fist pump like he did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but yeah, he had some interesting. I have another thing that he did, but I'm saving it for her on the sideline. But uh, stock up for Vi. But just having him back, obviously, is a difference maker. Yeah. You know, I hadn't put it on here, but since you brought it up, uh, let's also throw Stephen Carr and his yes. pass blocking yes. has been such a difference maker for them. Without a doubt. Being able to run up the middle is has been different for the offense the last two weeks, and it's added a different element. Obviously, Stephen Carr gets the long run in this game, he goes over 100 total yards as well. Um, you know, I think he had eighty something running. It was really good to see him get back to long yards, stuff like that. Where both Vi and Carr, that's been missing this season, just because they haven't been one hundred percent. Yeah, and and he had the, a great cut on that long run. Now he was looking up at the screen, trying to avoid. He was waiting to see when the guy was going to dive. Kind of turned back a little bit, yeah. And he was trying to like just get the legs up just at the right time. It didn't work out for him there. He got caught uh, from behind on that one, but still long run. Big yardage horn, but his blocking has been so important. Him and Vi both, but but mainly Steven in this game, picking up those blitzes because that was UCLA's game plan. They brought a ton of blitzes and, and different cows too, and, and a lot of different ways uh, to try to attack Keaton Slovis. And I thought that both the running backs, but particularly Stephen Carr, did such a great job picking up blitzers uh, to enable the offense to be able to get the ball out to 
four receivers for over 100 yards. Yeah, which makes you wonder. I know I always say, like, oh, I wish there was a video simulation so I could see what would happen in this game, whatever. <laughs> I want to put Stephen Carr, a healthy Stephen Carr and a healthy Vivai Malapai into the, the games that they missed, you know, when Keenan had to pick up a lot of responsibilities. Does the offense flow better? Do they have a better vibe in the sense where these last two games where we're like, wow, offensive explosion. Does that actually happen earlier? I'm curious. Could could be. You know, I got also offensive balance on stock up. You know, that's partly the the four receivers okay, having 100 Clay yards. Helton. But yeah, you know, everyone talks about you know the offensive balance, but it's not quite what you think here. Okay. It's Make your the, case. because you know the the runs to passes was 47 passing uh, passing attempts to 32 rushes. Now you got three sacks in there. You got at least one, I think two scramble, one or two scrambles. So it's more like fifty to twenty-eight, twenty-seven, somewhere in that that range. Okay. You know, it's like it's it's almost two to one when you look at it. You know, as far as dropbacks versus runs, and but the offensive balance is more the Mike Leach concept of offensive balance, where he wants the his five skill players to have kind of equal touches on it and that's his idea of balance rather than rushes versus passes and now it wasn't exactly touches but the number of yardage when you have a running back go over 100 yards when you have four receivers go over 100 yards you have Vi also get I think 60 or 70 yards 60 yards rushing you know just it was everyone contributing there mm-hmm. everyone except for the tight ends <laughs> um, but <laughs> that was, someone tweeted out a photo I don't remember someone one of the USC staff members or players or something it's like who wouldn't want to come here and i wanted to be like a tight end i guess jack yeri says hi <laughs> oh snap oh, no i didn't mean that <laughs> but you know but kind of uh, <laughs> yeah so my offensive balance was not the rushes to passes but just spreading the ball around to all your offensive weapons i, I think yeah. that is a, such a i like the idea that mike leach has of his balance much more than hey you got to run the ball versus pass the ball because those throws out to Michael Pittman because they're playing eight yards off and they're just wide receiver screens that they did over and over. And he's picking up eight yards every single time. That is that is an extension of the run game. It's just a quick throw and catch and run. You know, it's not something you're not designing a play. It's just an easy option out there. And those type things continue to get guys like Pittman and stuff involved in a game plan when – they're really they were really designing stuff to try to take him away. They were double covering him with the safety over the top. But if you're gonna play eight yards off and then have a safety over the top, well just take that quick throw and let him go to work for six, seven, eight yards. I think the shortest one was probably like five yards. Wow. He he just he just is a beast when people try to tackle him. You get an Amon Ross St. Brown out who's a willing blocker in front of him. And it, you can make a little magic out of nothing, you know, and that's what's fun watching this offense is, you know, if you're quarterback seeing it, you're like, I'll just make this quick, easy throw. They do the rest. This is nice. Every once in a while, I'll throw the deep ball. You know, this is this is a fun offense to watch if you're an offensive skill player or if you're a quarterback looking at the potential of playing in this offense. And to that point, I think there's something to be said for on a day where we're talking about Keaton Slovis and the wide receivers doing what they did. Vi had two scores. Stephen Carr had a score. And granted, they're like one yard short goal line rushes. But in the prior T. Martin Gumbo offenses, it would be a, a Juju or someone like that dominating the stats and the yardage and the touchdowns. You know what I mean? So the fact that five different Trojans were involved in this offensive performance, I think, uh, means something as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that 
you had the short runs, you had the long passes, you had the short passes as well. Michael Pittman getting in the zone. You know, it was just a dynamic effort, and it was a balanced effort across the across the board. And give credit to the offensive line. You know, it's not like they're putting up a bunch of big run totals. And Keen Slovis is moving around the pocket, but a lot of different looks the last two weeks as far as blitzes. That even going back to the Colorado game with a center who's getting his second start. Yeah, and and they've done a very good job of picking that stuff up. There was occasional you know miscues and stuff. It's going to happen, but I think that they've done a really nice job. You you're not seeing necessarily the the stats that lend itself to say well the offense line's playing really well but they're doing what needs to be done for this offense to succeed in that sense I had Graham Harrell on uh, stock up yeah that, that's kind of makes sense um just because I felt like sometimes there was there was a lot of skepticism and I feel like this was the game that everyone kind of came on board to hey this was a good hire you know this makes sense so in that sense I think his stock was up and I'll get to the framing of this in stock down but I won't preempt it. So yeah, because people, you know, I don't know if I'm getting into your stuff. But yes, I I think you are. <laughs> I mean, what I was gonna say is like halfway through the season, people were calling him fraud, Harold. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it was like this is not gonna work. You know, air raid offense, but whatever. It's still a first year offense, and it's gotta sometimes things have to mesh and gel, and you know, especially when you're changing quarterbacks and the guy that's making the decisions, you know four times week to week to week yeah in the in the first you know few games so obviously I think that it's it's been a rise for the offense now there were still issues in that Oregon and Arizona State game that really hurt the team yeah they put up yardage but didn't finish they finished the last couple weeks and the part of the difference is the 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 defense this especially this past week was terrible Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know the the Cal defense has good secondary they got Evan Weaver in the middle of it. A Buckus finalist is probably going to win the award. So you can't say that they don't have players. Yeah. Um, and they were still putting up points after points after points. Mm-hmm. You actually didn't go the route I thought you were going to go, which is good. So I'll still I'll wait for the rest of my Harold spiel for Stockdown. Okay, my last stock up is is Drake London. He's the only mm-hmm. player that I put on you know my stock up or stock down uh, in, individually. But he he just continues to showcase new things that. I don't think everyone knew that he had, you know, juking guys that, you know, in this game and, you know, going the over the top catch, you know, over the shoulder, the catch with the the big hits for the touchdown, you know, just doing, it's showing a, a very versatile game. And we saw it, at least I saw it, uh, you know, at Moore Park, he could do everything for that offense in high school because of his basketball background. You know, he just is a dynamic athlete, and you know, Gerard, when he first saw him, he's like, "This guy's much better than his rating is." You know, this guy could be a star if he sticks to football. Was this the guy that we joked about that he was in love with him? We're like, "Oh, this is Gerard." Like he, because he went to one game and he was like, just raving about someone after the game. Was it Drake? Yeah, it was Drake. Okay, wow, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, "No, I'm already in love with you. Can't do this." Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yeah, it was Drake. <laughs> As a two-sport star, I love two-sport guys. Uh, but no, he, he just continues to evolve his game and show a little bit more each week. And I think you know with the juke moves and different things this week, that was something that people, you know, maybe they didn't expect. You know, A lot of people were kind of classifying him as, hey, he's a possession tight end type of guy. And he's just he's too much of an athlete for me to, to categorize him as that, that type of player. I think he's got to stay on the outside. I don't think he needs to be in the box trying to block people and – Unless he's going to get paid big money like Gronk or something. Big money, big money. 
I had two more quick ones. First off, I had stock up for season predictions. If I may uh, brush our shoulders off for a little bit, Shotgun, you and I both predicted eight and four preseason. Hmm. The thing I wish I did, though, I don't know if I put like, and what should that mean for Clay Helton if they go eight and four? Because I don't remember how I was feeling back then. So I can't be like, and thus, this should happen. <laughs> so I don't know. I just guessed and I guess I was right. So shouts to us, Shotgun. We were the only ones on the staff who got it right. And then my final stock up in that sense is fan attention because I feel like a lot of fans were kind of like, yeah, yeah, the games are happening. I don't really care about the minute details. I care about this portion of the season. What's going to happen next? And I feel like the anticipation has just ramped up a lot, and we've even heard that on the Dan podcast. A lot of people are really in tune to what's happening, as evidenced by Ryan, who tweeted something obscure, and everyone was reading into it, and Ryan just fueled the flames, but... There's a lot of people who are are back to really paying attention, which during the regular season, a lot of people became apathetic. So it's interesting to see that ramp up again. After a three and three start, when there was a lot of questions, then there was a bye week. Will USC do something during the bye week? Nothing happened. Then they have an interim AD. So then it was, okay, well, we'll wait to the end of the season and see if something happens. Especially when USC won a couple games, people are like, well, nothing's happening until at this point. And now it's kind of going back to that. But so I'm going to start with my stock down with kind of encompassing both of your last two stock up is expectations versus meeting expectations. Interesting. So what I mean by that, and I think it's stock down because meeting expectations, eight and four. That's the expectation both of us had for this season. You know, they met that expectation. You know, they had a really difficult first six games of the season. It turned out it wasn't quite as difficult when maybe like Washington, uh, but you know, our Fresno State's not even it played anywhere close to where they, they played last season, even BYU. Like, there's some, you know, the expectation, though, was 8-4 and four was probably where they'd end up. A lot of young players, new offense, a lot of things that kind of went into that. So they met that expectation. But it's still not meeting the expectation of USC. And USC yeah. is the expectation is to compete for national championships. You are a blue blood program. That is the expectation. That's the expectation fans have. We we always talk about how we don't know what the administration wants exactly and whether or not they want that at the same time and they're willing to put the resources that are necessary to do that. But I have stock down for expectations also for everyone that just automatically assumed after 3 and 3 that Clay Helton's going to be fired. Yeah. Because we're hearing more and more that there's a real possibility that that's not the case. And what's going to happen with the fan base if that doesn't happen? I've already said I'm going to go into a war bunker. I'm not going to (laughs) go on the P for a couple days. Let it just let the the mushroom clouds kind of dissipate a little bit. (laughs) Just saying. Just find a pillbox to hide in. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just take some cover, (laughs) you know, to your point. I felt like I got this sense at the end of the UCLA game that there was a a separation of Graham Harrell and as I put quote unquote the others and the others meaning Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter I felt like knowing USC and the way things are done sometimes you could make a case for hey they did better than 2018 this is not us making the case, by the way. I know. And I said this on the Dan Pod. I said this on television. And people think that I'm making this argument. I'm not. But you can see USC and those types making this argument saying, 
they made progress. They had their quarterback get injured. They had so many injuries. They finished strong. I could see where Clay Helton can convince Mike Bone, hey, I'll get rid of, I'll get a new defensive coordinator. We'll start fresh on special teams and then we'll be blah, 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 blah. I can see that happening. And buckle up, people, because USC is USC and nothing's guaranteed. But I can see a case where that could happen. And my counterpoint to that is that's what you promised after five and seven. <laughs> the Notre Dame rebuild meant rebuilding. And if you're going to go as far as to say that you're going to do something that your rival school is doing, then you better live up to it. And they didn't. And so for me, it's too little too late. That's something you should have done. In my opinion, you should have made changes after the Cotton Bowl, but that's neither here nor there at this point. (laughs) But to me, I can see this happening where, this is Mike Bone speaking, if we don't have Urban Meyer and nothing's really lined up, let's just keep Clay another year, keep it going, have him make some changes and see where that leads. Because this recruiting class this year is already a wash. You know, I don't think there's really anything you can do besides hoisting urban meyer on traveler and riding him around <laughs> high schools <laughs> that would save this recruiting class you know what he needs <laughs> obviously the turnover traveler. he needs the turnover traveler give him a sword and Sorry give him a mini screaming. pony to ride around with these high schools I'm, I'm committing immediately if that's the case yeah any coach that does that any coach that rides in on a mini pony i'm like i'm in i don't yeah. care if it's smu i don't care if it's uh San Juan Hills Stallions, whatever. If you've got a horse, Tribico Mustangs. I'm yeah. trying to think of every Mustang basket. I'm signing. I'm signing right there. Just of sign course, me up. of course. But <laughs> to my point, I just I can see a scenario where that's happening, and that's why I said stock down on the others because I think it's gotten to a point in the way that Clay Helton talks about it, where I think he would be willing now, maybe if it means keeping his job, separating from Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter. I had stocked down coordinator safety, and it's the, kind of it's the same concept, but I just it just always seemed like Clay Helton and Clancy Pendergast would be tied at the hip, and to a lesser extent, John Baxter was tied to Clay Helton. So you know those are the guys that have been with him through thick and thin. Were here when he was an assistant coach as well. You know it's just been they were on the staff at the same time that he was an assistant. Now, when he had an opportunity, those are probably the first two guys he called to bring back, and it just seemed that those that there would be no separation there. Like they were tied, that was going to be defining, and especially after last season, when you you do the whole Notre Dame is what we're you know we're striving to be. We're gonna you know completely change things. We've seen what Notre Dame can do, and then Lin Swan even saying something like, "We made thirteen new hires, or we we had thirteen new personnel, or something." I was like personnel like what are you talking about and also look at the areas where if people stayed did you make a a change or were they already gone and you had you were forced to make a change you know what i mean but just i just i felt like those those two were tied together especially clancy and, and clay helton um but now it seems like there could be a divide where you know it it comes down to if it comes down to clay being told you want to stay, you got to get rid of him, he would now. And I just don't feel like – I felt like – it seemed previously that there wasn't a chance that would happen, that he wouldn't be given the option for one, and he wouldn't want to do that for two. But it just – I feel like there 
previously, if there was an ultimatum, like you would feel it like it just wouldn't happen. And now it seems like there's a little bit of a divide. Just some of the things that Clay said, it just seems like there's a little bit of a divide. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. Um, but it just seems like the, the coordinator safety that I thought was there, that if Clay was staying, those guys would stay. Seems like that has separated some. So I got stocked down for coordinator safety. Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. It just feels different. Yeah. And the going back different, to... A little bit different vibe. Sure. That's the vibe. <laughs> sure. Going back to my whole uh, video game simulation I thought Love experiment. Love the simulation. Apparently. What would happen if Lynn Swan was still the athletic director? Because he's the one who said, We acknowledge and understand our deficiencies in areas that include culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff. We agree that changes need to be made, and they will. We will improve and get better in all areas. So does he hold him to that standard? Is it a different rubric, if you will, with Lynn Swan rather than Mike Bone? Now, I see the face, Shotgun, because I know... You know my faces. I feel like Swan Shade is about to come out of your mouth, but... Yeah, he gone. Yes, he is. That's why I wanted to say simulation. But is there a different... Is it more definitive because you verbalized the standards and they were not met? Rather than it's a new whole, it's a whole new situation with Mike Bone. Yeah, I think it's definitely different because of that. Because Mike Bone can be like, "Well, I didn't say those things." You know, I've this is what this that's not the way to win. This is the way to win, or whatever whatever he wants to say that separates himself from Lin Swan because he can say Lin Swan wasn't getting the job done. That's why I'm here. So I'm not going by anything that that guy said before. You know, we're going to do things my way, not. You know, previously we're we're gonna actually have a collaborative effort. We're gonna listen. We're gonna le- you know learn. You know those things that Lin Swan didn't always take the time to do. Wasn't always around to to do as well. So um, yeah, I think there's definitely a separation there. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I just wanted to see how it would play out, but you know, you can't. So moving on. Put the, put the simulation in. <laughs> sure. Know? Alrighty. Well, let's move on to heard it on the sidelines. What did you hear, Mister Gunn? I tried not to say some of these things, but they almost came out as we were talking about the offense. But Graham Harrell just saying, that's what it's supposed to look like. And Clay Helton on Monday talking on Trojans Live saying, Graham told me that the offense would just all of a sudden click. And he starts throwing a snap in there. A very, very prominent snap. It's a good snap from him. Just saying. That's not um, from you, too. That was a meaty snap. But uh, he, he said, you know, it would just all of a sudden click. And that's what's happened the last three weeks. That's what he said, our last three games. And he said that's what, you know, that's when the first quarter of Arizona State, he looks up and he's like, wow, this is, it, it finally is clicking. Now, it didn't click the last three quarters of that game, but it has the last two weeks, definitely. And I think that it's it's partly the maturation of this offense and guys getting used to the offense. And I asked Michael Pittman after the game about it. You know, it said, is it just Keaton getting better and him maturing, or is it kind of the entire offense trying to, you know, first year offense and everyone coming together type of thing? And he said it's a little bit of both. Obviously, Keaton getting better is a huge part of it. But he said, I also, you know, sometimes would catch myself running the depth of route that was in the T Martin offense versus in this offense. And, you know, that's kind of gone away. Those type of things, you know, by the 12th game of the season, those things are gone. And the wide receivers know exactly where they're running. You see the freshman like Drake London, the maturation he's had, and some of the, the different things that he's doing. You know, there was a play that went for like four or five yards where he was like chip blocking and then went out for a route. But instead of continuing his route, he saw that it was a zone coverage and just stopped and kind of faded backwards a little bit. And Keaton Slowis finds him. You know, He was rolling out left and found him for a four or five-yard game. But those are things that freshmen don't normally do. 
but they've had the experience. And you've seen you, you see now guys like Stephen Carr and Vivai Malapai when they pick up a blitz. You know those things. The offensive line, they're communicating. All those things just seems like it's partly a maturation of the offense and everyone kind of knowing what their assignment is in a first year offense, new offense that they were supposed to learn. It was supposed to be super simple, but it still takes time and game reps to to be able to master it. And I think that's part of it. And I think that's why they're playing so much better on offense right now. And you're not seeing the Cal game or the UCLA game last year where you get out to a lead and then you can't add anything onto it. Now it seems like when the offense starts going, they'll at least move the ball. Now they finish the drives against Arizona State or Oregon. That change, you know, that that changes the complexion of those two games, but. They're moving the ball and giving the defense a little bit of time off. You know those things that just were not happening at all last year. When it would seem like two and a half quarters could go by without them, you know, putting anything together. And I know I've said this before, but I think there's something to be said for putting a true freshman quarterback in a new offense, having a whole new system placed in. And it goes to my point about the whole Cotton Bowl thing. If you weren't in a situation where you had to win now and things had to click instantly, put this offense in when. Without a five and seven season, I think people will be much happier than under the microscope of you have to win now. Things need to get better immediately. You know what I mean? I think it, it sits better with people rather than them finally coming around game twelve of the season. Does that make sense? I think so. I, and I, I think that the offense would have been a lot better last year. You wouldn't have gone five and seven. I mean, look at if you want to take a glance over at North Texas. You know, I think they've had two nine win seasons in a row. They're like four and seven this year. Wow. Without. And their offense is struggling yeah. as part of it. So maybe Graham Harrell knows what he's doing. Maybe. Just thought. Just thought. <laughs> Just keeping on the Graham Harrell train, if you will. I managed to see Graham Harrell come down from the press box post game, And once he found Keaton, his eyes just lit up. He was so excited to see Keaton after the game. And he like hit him on the butt. And he was like, oh, I didn't hear what he said. But he was just so pumped up. And it's just interesting seeing that connection because it's been there from day one. But he was just so proud of Keaton. And Graham Harrell's kind of a low-key guy in that sense. I don't think you really see him get amped up, especially in interviews. He's very just very low-key. So to see that excitement from him, you could kind of see that he was proud of the product that was displayed on Saturday. And maybe he needs to get his spandex on. If he had his tights on for wrestling, then maybe he gets amped up or his luchador mask on. I don't know what, what his character is in wrestling. Oh, no. Is that Graham Harrell's music? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then he runs out and he's super pumped up. Sure. Um, and, and maybe that 500 plus yards of passing was his theme music coming down from sure. upstairs that's what he was hearing uh, the whole time you know the the cheers of the crowd and the touchdowns that were being thrown but yeah the the dynamic there is, is pretty unique and Keaton t- actually talked about this on Trojans Live as well he said you know I'm very fortunate basically that I was able to come in because it wasn't a guy who recruited him you mm-hmm. know Graham Harold had nothing to do with his recruitment he came to USC and that they have just been kind of kindred spirits. And, you know, I've I've noticed from talking to both of them, particularly when you talk after, you know, the scrum interview, if you just are chatting with them, start talking a little football, they are very similar. You know, they, the way they just love to talk about the dynamics of a play and the way it develops mm-hmm. versus talking about, you know, you listen to Graham Harrell talk about the quarterback, uh, quarterback battle, and in generalities and stuff about the offense, like it just does not interest him. Now, if you want to talk about 
what you do with a two back set here versus that. Now he's like, like his eyes, you know, get, that's when you get, get the wide. six minute answers. Yeah, that's when he gets intrigued and starts. You know, he he's interested. He's he's very into the game, and I think Keaton's the same way. They're mm-hmm. very into the playbook and the dynamics of how you know the, the plays will break down and how the offense works versus just talking in generalities about football and putting up a bunch of points. They're both not about the limelight and kind of the the drama that can be around the football. <laughs> they just like the football. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's So that's why when you get a one-on-one or away from all the TV guys being like, what does you feel? You know, like, <laughs> no offense to all the TV guys. Um, they're much more relaxed and, and, and chill. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what really interests them, the, the football itself. They really love football. That's mm-hmm. that's what it all comes down to. You're not, you listen to any NFL, former NFL player, they'll tell you that, I was around a lot of guys really good at football, didn't love football. Those two guys, I think, really love football. They love the X's and O's portion of it, and that's the fun part for them, deciphering a defense. It's kind of like a mathematical equation uh, to an extent for like Keaton Slovis when he, he's going about trying to, to break down a defense. So I, I think those things are fun to him, and I think that he's excelling at, at his math right now. Thanks, Professor Shotgun. Really good math grade. Well done. <laughs> Who else do you have on Heard It? I'm going to go back to Clay Helton. I don't know if a lot of people were able to listen into his Trojans Live interview because I didn't see a ton of tweets and stuff about it. I didn't get a bunch of comments immediately. Uh, I missed his initial uh, conversation, but I went back and listened to it You know, a little bit afterwards. And some of the stuff he said got a lot of reactions when I did tweet them out. So I, I thought some of the stuff was interesting. He says he thinks USC is playing its best football right now. And his quote was, I thought our growth would come as our quarterback grew and our young people grew. Right now, I wouldn't want to play us. That's a strong statement. It is. It is indeed. I want to see your reaction to that, Keely. What, how do you feel about that statement? Why are you baiting me? I'm at a point where I don't put a lot of stock into those type of comments from Clay <laughs> Helton. I'm sorry. I just I don't think I can. He lost me at the whole Toa Lobendon warrior thing. After that, I was like... <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think the, the interesting part of that is, is I, yes, I do think USC is playing its best football. Does that also interact with the fact that they're playing boo-boo defense against UCLA? Yes. But I think I would agree with him that it is their best football that they're playing this season. Now, right now, I wouldn't want to play us. I ain't agreeing with that. Yeah. That's the vague version of we want Bama. <laughs> and we know what happens when you say that. And, and so, you know, the, the someone brought up on Twitter to me was like, maybe you could say that in 2016 or whenever the Rose Bowl season was at the end of the year. Like you started one and three, but at the end of the year, right now nobody wants to play USC. And the way they played in the Rose Bowl and came back and all those things, you, you can make that argument. But looking at this team, nah, nah, brah, nah, brah. Another week, another nah, bra. That, that's why I'm saying I don't put much stock into this. It's, I, I don't put much stock speak. into that one. It's Coach Speak. No, that's not. That's a much more definitive statement than Coach Speak. It's Clay Helton Speak. How about it's that? Clay Helton Speak, true. And the last thing he said on Trojans Live that I want to bring up was him talking about Colorado. You know, He was asked, you know, what are you going gonna to be watching? Are you going to send any tips over to Mel Tucker? Which, yes, oh. yes, I would send tips if I was him. You know, I don't know that he need like Mel Tucker needs those, but hey, you call him up and be like, you need anything? I got you. What snacks? <laughs> Refreshments? Yes. Yeah, so we'll send the oranges and Capri Sun. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but no, you 
if you can, you call up, and if you have a relationship with Mel Tucker, you say, hey, this is, and this happens in coaching a lot more than you think. You know, it's not just, well, good luck to them. No, we're trying to get into the Pac-12 championship. What can we do to help you? Yeah, this is – if and sometimes it's always interesting, and I've always wondered about this with some things, like like in baseball, if you pick up and your teammate has a, has a tendency and you see that he's kind of – maybe he tips his pitches or something or he, re, he really struggles on a, on a certain pitch and you get traded to another team or you are a free agent and you go to your next team, do you then tell them everything you know about? And it's the thing with the NFL when – the Patriots sign someone is immediately after they're cut uh, and they're playing that team coming up. Yeah. We're signing you so that we can pick your brain type of thing. And that's what could happen in this. Like he calls up Mel Tucker and is like, Hey, what do you need? I got you. This is what they did with, with this. You know, this is how they changed their, their formation on this. And you try to give as many tips and pointers as you can. But he was asked about it and said, hey, you're going to send any tips. He's like, I'd send the offensive staff. if I." He didn't say if I could. <laughs> I, as, I interpreted it as if I could. But he said, I'd send the offensive staff. Wow. Which What does that say about the Colorado offensive staff? I don't know. Ooh, digs, digs. Um, but then he also said, I'm wearing black and gold on Saturday, and I'm rooting my butt off. Cool. <laughs> You want something out of me and you're not going to get it. I Great. You shouldn't be in this position to begin with. That's what I had to say. Exactly. And that's the whole thing with people thinking that the decision whether or not to keep Clay Hilton could come down to the Pac-12, whether or not Utah loses or not. You shouldn't be in this position. Yeah. You beat Utah. So you, why, are, why are you not ahead of them? You won every game in the South Division. Yeah. So... Be better, do better. Yes, indeed. I have two little quick game things that I observed on the sideline. I tweeted about this. I tweeted about both of these, actually. And you were like, ooh, this is going to be on the sideline. And I'm like, but I'm <laughs> tweeting about it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Everybody sees our tweets. It's fine. That's true. But Vi Malapai, on his second touchdown of the day, uh, ran into the end zone, got to the back of the end zone, and he sees. So this is actually a a guy who works for USC Media, and he's like on the field taking pictures of guys during pregame, so they're friendly with him. And so it was just like a quick little dap up, and then you can see the gears turning in Vivai's head because he's like has his hand on the guy's hand, and then quickly like it's a stove, just pulls it off. He's like no, 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 and he's like ah, and then and then quickly tries to find the ref and give the ball back as like a ge- gesture of good measure, and like he kind of <laughs> nodded at him like thank you, thank you, don't call it, and then like the other guy swarm by, but no penalty this time. But you know it's always iffy if you touch hands with someone. Oh my god, it, the worst rule ever. Yeah, so Vivai no, was no very, handshakes or high fives, no hand claps. The Pac-12 has been ridiculous with that calling that penalty this season, so it was good to see that they didn't do that yeah, for once. Yeah, some restraint there. It's amazing, especially if the ref did see it. Now, that that's the question I have. Because yeah, I'm not sure. I don't believe that they wouldn't throw the flag. I don't know. Something. It was quick. You can see it on my highlights if you so are that curious. So they may not have seen it. Maybe. And then my last one is Drew Richmond. And we've been trying <laughs> to perfect this the last couple of days. And Shotgun, you're the resident Southern Twang member of the pod, so I'm not even going to try, but it was just hilarious. I'm probably going to try. When Drew Richmond, there was an offsides penalty on, on UCLA, and UCLA tried to sell it as Drew Richmond, and he was having none of it. He was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, 
and he does this thing where he just like stands up super straight and then just points and he's like you know it's on you you know it's on you and he was so <laughs> adamant about it and just screaming it so loud with a, just a glorious southern twang and so it was really really fun to observe and he's got a memphis twang it's a little bit different than than my southern twang so I, i'm not True. even gonna try on this one um it was it was great though listening to him. But no, it's it's on you definitely. It's but don't on even, you. don't even try. Yeah. And with the Southern Twang made it even better, especially in the Los Angeles Crosstown Showdown. You don't see that hear that very often. True. Um, but you know, since you brought up Drew Richmond, I just want to point out that he's made a pretty significant impact. You know, he's been you know, that the veteran leadership there. He doesn't say a ton. He's fit in really well with this offensive line group. You yeah. know, there could be some dissension. When a guy comes in as a grad transfer, you know, especially because you know he's he's not like all these other guys, you know, as far as his upbringing, you know, being from the South, there's no one else really on the on that in that offensive line room that is from outside the West. So, you know, I, I think that there could have been a lot of or not a lot, but there could have been some issues. He's fit in really well. He's not he's not an All American or anything, but he's done a good job on the right side. They can leave him man-to-man on that side they can leave him singled up and, and he can block people so and you think about with the injuries that they have sustained particularly that. at that right guard position with Andrew Voorhees and Liam Jimmins both going down you know who would be in there right now mm-hmm. it, it would be a lot different and they've been able to pretty much have the consistent you know starting five throughout the season until Brett Nealon was, was injured in that Arizona State game but He's been pretty consistent on that offensive line. So adding him was a big, big addition this offseason as a grad transfer. I think he's done a pretty good job over there. So give him a lot of credit. Yeah, and just talking to him, his attitude is so infectious because the word he kept using was grateful. He mm-hmm. was just so grateful to be at USC and get a second chance, if you will. He just he just came off as this big, giant teddy bear, even though he's like super menacing on the field and, and a little cocky. But it's just interesting seeing that duality. And he's a guy, he got an invite to the Shrine Bowl, so mm-hmm. he will be in front of Scout's eyes. We'll see what he does there. He'll probably be a guy that gets an invite to camps as well. Um, so I don't know if he'll be a draft pick. That's kind of depends on how he does, you know, in the postseason, you know, beyond USC season. But he's a guy that could potentially be an NFL player as well. So good luck to him on that. My last heard it was actually on UCLA's first touchdown. So really quick, they went with a, you know, they went with a really quick play action and just got the ball out as fast as they could to Demetric Felton and let him go around the edge. Isaiah Polamau comes in too close, comes in too far inside, and he's able to get into the end zone, dives. Really nice job of putting his hand down and like somersaulting in (laughs) uh, when Christian Rector tried to make the tackle. But as the play was developing – as soon as the play action happens and he, and Dorian Thompson Robinson starts to you know uh, wind up to throw, I can hear Chip Kelly because I was on the UCLA sideline because it was in the shadows, so it was making for better photos. And I can hear I can hear Chip Kelly not far away from me going, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir." He knew immediately. I think he was probably watching Isaiah pull him out. And as soon as he saw Isaiah pull him out, try to go inside of the block, he was like, that's a touchdown. That's getting in there. And just hearing him super hyped up going in, it just kind of is different from the the persona that that I think he has publicly. Um, so I thought it was just kind of interesting and just kind of a you know behind-the-scenes look at, at Chip Kelly getting excited on the sidelines. You remember last year, before Joshua Kelly had that long touchdown run, on the broadcast, he gave a little smirk because I think he knew what was about to happen. There was about to be a big play, so he's got a little. He's got a little attitude over there as a play caller too. He's he's an interesting play caller, and I just 
you know, there's some things I don't understand at all about him. One of them being why he doesn't run the same offense he ran at Oregon that was so successful. That's probably the biggest one. But, you know, he's an interesting play caller, and to, to see a little emotion from him on the sideline when he gives off the vibe as being kind of an emotionless guy on, on there was interesting. How close were you? Like, was this loud where you could hear it? I was just surprised by the whole thing. Uh, I was probably on the 20-yard line. I wasn't in the end zone or anything, so he wasn't far that far away. He was probably 10 to 15 yards at most uh, away, so not not too far away, but just, you know, you could hear it like the tone got louder as as the play was developing, it was like three or four yes sirs in there. The confidence grew yeah. Yeah. as the play developed. Exactly. Alrighty, well let's move on to questions. First up, we have an email from our buddy Maybet. She says, "Hello, Keelan Chalkan. This is Maybet from Ontario. AD Mike Bone has been on the job for just a couple of weeks. How would you evaluate his performance so far, given that he hasn't made a major decision yet? What encouraging traits does he possess that were lacking in previous ads? Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Keep feuding and fight on to victory." Thanks, may bet. Now we've kind of touched on this already. On the victory, though, gotta I fight know. on the victory, of like my bone says. She has to keep it in, you know. <laughs> but we've kind of touched on this already. I think we definitely did on the last pod. I know not everyone gets a full chance to listen to the pod because we put it out on Fridays, but not anymore because season's over. So we'll have more time for this one. But thoughts on bone, Mister Gun? Yeah. Uh, first off, maybe we're thankful for you for sending in of questions. You're one of our favorites uh, uh, of the Family Feud show, friend of the program. But Mike Bone, I think, has done a tremendous job of you know just what he said. That he's going to learn, listen, and then lead. He's nailing the first two parts. You know, he's listening to what people are saying, uh, listening and learning. Now we'll see what he does to lead. That's going to be the big question. Obviously, everyone wants to know about Clay Helton's future, and that's going to be the thing that defines his tenure early, at least. And whether you know if he makes a move there to get rid of Clay Helton, who he hires after that, those you know that you know that the potential of the football head coach is the biggest thing the athletic director deals with as far as hiring and firing. Now, how USC handles a lot of other things like all the scandals they've had previously, that'll also go into you know how his tenure is remembered and Carol Folt as well. That's mm-hmm. what she's remembered for at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, is how she handled with the academic scandal they had there. But first for him is going to be the football hire or decision to stay with Clay Hilton. So that'll be the first thing that we'll really get to know as far as a major decision. But so far, so good. I think the fact that he has made his face known to everyone, you know, he's not Lin Swan, so not everybody knows what he looks like or knows who he is. He has gone out there and been present at so many events. You know, I know he's got to be at least a little weary of all the all the sporting events he's gone to, and if not, I think that says even more about him because you know I, I've decided that my future job should be an athletic director. Wow! Just because I like watching sports all the time. You throw your hat into the ring to many different jobs all the time. Well, they get paid a lot too, so that's why. What if you get offered <laughs> every one that you've ever said? What are you going to do then? Athletic director might be it, because you just go and watch sports all the time. And you make sporting decisions, kind of. The, the financial stuff, I'll have a good COO for that. Okay. Or C, whatever, yeah. Sure, but... CFO. Back to Mike Bone. I think Mike he, Bone. <laughs> every time, you gotta do it. <laughs> no, I think he's made... It seems like a genuine effort to do what he said, which is put his face everywhere, do the little things that matter, go visit the Hellenes, the Trojan Knights who are guarding Tommy Trojan, like random things, like staying behind in Berkeley to watch... USC women's volleyball take on Cal 
even going on the water cooler, a sports student run show. That means something, you know, stuff like that, where he's really, it seems like he's really trying and giving a genuine, genuine effort. Now, the question I have for you, Shotgun. And how, being accessible, I think, is a big thing. That, yeah, because. That some of his predecessors did not do. Because I think Lin Swan did show his face, but whether or not it seemed approachable was the question. I think Mike Bones did a really good job of that. And he said it a billion times. If you see me, come, come up and, you know, say hi. But. If he does make a decision that USC fans don't like in regards to USC football, do you think it really taints people's opinions of him immediately? Do you think he can recover in that sense? Yes. Um, I think it immediately taints it, or for the immediate future, it taints it. People will just remember him for that until something changes. Whether that be if he keeps Clay Helton and people hate that decision, but Clay Helton starts winning more than eight games you know, and they're in the Rose Bowl next season or they're in the college football playoff, then you get forgiven. Or if he hi- if he fires Clay Helton and he, he makes a hire that people don't like, who's Mike Norvell? You know, if that's what ends up happening, then they would not think highly of him until positive things come from it. If you get positive results, that's what people care about, not, you know, the process that goes into it. You know, people don't want to don't care about the sausage and how it's made. They care about how how tasty is the bratwurst or whatever. Yeah, so we shall see. That's my bow on things that <laughs> will not be figured out <laughs> well, relatively soon. We shall see. Our current evaluation of my bone is he's doing a good job. We'll leave it open-ended from there because the next moves are going to be the, the biggest ones. And neat. Let's move on to an email from Stephen Poway who says, Dear Keelan Shotgun, you may recall in mid-October when Urban Meyer was asked about the Dallas Cowboys coaching job and he said he would absolutely be open to taking that job if an offer came his way. To me, that signals that he's probably done with college coaching, but like Pete Carroll, might be open to trying his luck at, at the next level. Given Jerry Jones' signal tonight that he's not happy with his coaching, I think there's a potential match about to be made. If not Clay, dot, 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 and if not Urban, dot, 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 then who? Three question marks. There's no opening at USC, so I'm still not going to give in to whether or not Urban Meyer should be the head coach at USC. I think Steve's point is that do you make a move if you don't have Urban Meyer in the waiting? And that that comes back to what I've kind of broken down on Tunnel Vision and a couple other shows. I don't even remember if it was this one last week. But um, it, it becomes a financial risk assessment, and I think that's where this USC decision is at as much as – the wins and losses on the field, a big part that's going to play into it is the financial risk assessment of keeping Clay Helton and losing, you know, losing ticket sales and, you know, losing some interest versus get rid of Clay Helton and two different categories, get rid of Clay Helton, hiring a, a top end guy, an Urban Meyer or James Franklin, that type that really boosts ticket sales and boost uh you know donor contributions and stuff or somewhere in the middle where you get rid of clay helton you have to pay all the buyouts and stuff and the the contracts and you hire someone you know you have to pay the new contracts of a coaching staff and it's someone that's a lesser known coach like a mike norvell that's the name i've just been using just for fun just because people may have heard of that name but they don't really know much about mike norvell um unless you're a diehard college football fan if USC is to hire him, does that boost your sale, ticket sales and does that get people back in the stadium and does that get you winning? Those things, I think you have to – there's a risk assessment that goes with those three categories and I think that's what it comes down to as much as win-losses at this point right now. I'm trying to think of a different way of saying we shall see. 
Because I, I agree with you and I have nothing else to fully add on that until things start moving. If they move. Well, let's move on to an email from Aiden. Who do you guys think will leave early for the draft? Who do you think should leave early for the draft? Austin Jackson, AVT, Tyler Vaughns, J.T. Fele, and Marlon Tui-Pelotu seem like the main possibilities I can think of. Am I missing anyone? And finally, do you think we'll see any players sit out of the bowl game with it not being a New Year's Six Bowl? I don't think anyone necessarily will sit out of the bowl game. I don't just... I don't get the feeling that that's the character of a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that wants to be on the field all the time and gets upset if he gets taken off a special teams unit. <laughs> um, and there's no one else that is definitely a mid-round or better draft pick. Um, so I, I think that everyone's still playing to, for eyeballs. You know, scouts come to those bowl games. You know, if USC ends up in the Alamo Bowl and you're playing a Baylor, you're playing a Big 12 team that has some other talent it, as well, then, you know, scouts will come out to see how you match up against, you know, talented players as well. So I don't think anyone's going to sit out. I'll touch on that one first. Mm-hmm. Who do I think will leave early for the draft? That's kind of hard to say. You know, there's so many factors that go into, you know, that decision. You know, each person has some unique situations here looking at this with Austin Jackson, ABT, Tyler Vons, those three in particular. Um, Tyler Vons obviously will have graduated. How far along is he towards his, you know, masters? Does he want to get a masters? Does he think that he can improve his stock next season as the, you know, as the primary receiver potentially with Michael Pittman gone? Do his stats really go up? His stats have been pretty consistent across the board as his three seasons that he's played. So what does his NFL eval say? Yeah, what is the NFL eval? You know, what are they looking for? What in that eval, what do they say he has to improve on? Yeah. If it's he's gotta be faster, you know, those are that's a hard thing to improve on. He's gotta get better in so-and-so area and it's something that he can and maybe it's something that takes a little bit more time then yes you come back I think his is an interesting one um I think Austin Jackson you know he's got a ton of potential and I'm sure he's getting the eval as well you know Clay Helton did not say who all was getting the evals but Austin Jackson is definitely going to be one of those guys I'm fairly certain of what does his eval say because you've seen his name go all the way from maybe late first round to third or fourth round. If he comes back and he improves, I think he's a first-round talent. And first-round money is so much different than any other round. It's about getting into the first round because the guaranteed contracts that come with the first round as a first-round draft pick are just so much different than the rest of the draft down. down. The difference between a fourth round versus third round or third round versus second round, not as big of a deal, but getting into the first round is huge. I think he's capable of doing that. Elijah Vera Tucker is an interesting one because he doesn't have a ton of tape. He just basically has played this season. It's his first season in this offense, the communication stuff early. How much can he improve just as far as his tape showing, you know, in the future? He's a road grader on the on the on the ground. He's pretty strong. His pass blocking has been, you know, really good. He hasn't given up anything. But the question is, as a guard, how high is his ceiling? So Sean Cody was asked about this uh, on the Trojans Live and said that he he thinks he's the guy that leaves. Really? And so that was the interesting thing there. And, you know, I'm going to have to reach out to a couple people and see to find out a little bit more on this. But I would guess that he's getting an eval as well. That would make sense. You know, I think I think you're allowed five, right? Yeah. So there's five guys on this list that could be potentially the five guys that, that get the evals. Tufele is a guy I think should come back. 
he has shown he can be so disruptive. And he wasn't healthy this whole season. And that's it. And I think where he's at right now versus where he's at if he comes back and he's healthy and improves another season. Like yeah. I mean, he had a big jump from last season to this season. He was showing flashes last year. He was being way more consistent this year. I think he could be dominant next year. Yeah, I completely agree. Because Chad K was saying for a four-game stretch, he was essentially playing like with one hand yeah. and his helmet. Because he, he had the cut on his hand. He couldn't really do as much you know, using his hands. Marlon Tuipelotu is interesting as well because of the back issues, mm-hmm. you know, that he's had. He he re-injured, you know, his he had back surgery, pre, you know, his freshman year. He re-injured his back lifting weights this year. Only missed a game though, so nothing serious there. He was so dominant early on in the season, but he's kind of faded. And the question then becomes, you know, is is there an endurance uh, factor there? And do NFL teams really look at that? You know, I, I don't know exactly how that's kind of viewed with teams because the season is so much longer. You know, you're a 16 game season, you get in the playoffs, you can play, you know, what is it, 19, 20 games. So that is so much longer than the 12 to 14 that you play in college. Maybe you get to 15. Very rare. But he's played 12 games the last two seasons, and both seasons he's kind of faded towards the down the stretch. And that's something that Chad K had learned this season. He told me, he's like, you know, I, I saw, I think it was the Notre Dame game, when he started getting those double teams and stuff he was facing, he just wasn't the same player, uh, you know, towards the end of the, of the game. He just got worn down by, you know, their offensive line stuff. And I think that's happened a little bit with him, you know, the last couple of weeks where he just hasn't been as impactful. Now, he's made some really nice plays in there as well. And, again, Teams just are not run, being able to run up the middle with those two guys in the middle. So if they come back again, and Brandon Peely in that mix as well. Which I think he's kind of made an upward trend the, these last couple of games. Brandon Peely's been playing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that group can be dominant next year. You know, I, I said at the beginning of the year, I said that I thought they were on the cusp of being a great defensive line, and I don't think that they've got there. You know, the, the opportunities – have kind of dwindled a little bit as far as the sacks and stuff that you know they were getting some pressures but not getting the sack earlier in the year. They've kind of dwindled a little bit. Uh, they've had some injuries, obviously, but I think that if they come back that unit and you have when you have Drake Jackson beside you, it just makes it that much more difficult for a team to double team you because you know that guy can be screaming off the edge. And if yeah. they find a way to get a consistent pass rush on the other side, you know I think that the the Defensive line group can be, you know, can be the strength of the defense next year. Can be just, you know, can be all American caliber, you know, as a unit. So I think they should come back and work together just because you have that, when you have someone beside you that you know is really good, it makes it that much more difficult for teams to double team you. And that means you can show out in those one on one situations. How much does that depend on continuity of coaches? If Chuck for some reason doesn't come back, is it hard for you to kind of justify that? I think well, you would find out. You could potentially find out if there was a, a new coach brought in. You could potentially find out before you make your decision. Um, and similarly, if there's a new defensive coordinator, how does that system, you know, how does that fit my skill set, those type things. You would hope to know those things. But how much as, as a defensive lineman does that matter versus I can just show out no matter what system I'm in? I think it depends on the player. Okay. Um, just because some guys are just freaks of nature, and it doesn't matter what system they're in, it doesn't matter the specific coaching they're getting, um, and maybe you bring it like the guys have said, they really like KU, but uh, Chad K brought just different 
an outlook to it, different tips and pointers. So now they've gotten the tips and pointers from KU, but also the tips and pointers from Chad K, and that's made them that much more well-rounded and better. So if you get another guy, maybe it does that as well. You know, I don't think that you completely overhaul uh, as a defense lineman. I don't think you ever overhaul you know, your your technique completely. So I don't think it's as much a, of a concern there as you know some other positions like DBs. You can play certain techniques a lot different, a lot of different ways, rather than you know pass rushing is pass rushing. You're trying to get the quarterback. Yeah. Let's move on to our last email, and it's from our buddy Maybed. She sent, she always sends one on Fridays when our episode actually comes out, and then she actually sent another one. So thanks, nice. for, thanks for the content, Maybed. She says, hello, Keely and Shotgun. We are five years removed from the sanction years. Where should the USC football program be at this point had we have had a competent AD and head coaches? Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Both of you are on my list of people to be thankful for this year. Thanks, Maybed. Keep feuding. Thanks for all you do, and fight on. Nice. Um, where should they be five years removed from sanction years? They, there shouldn't be concerns about depth because the roster should be back full strength. There shouldn't be concerns about talent because USC always recruits. USC recruits itself. Remember? That's what everyone said, right? At one point. Um, they should be, if you have a competent ad and you you have a top tier head coach you'd be in the college football playoff the brand has not suffered as much as it has and i think there is a national championship that is my take i think you at least are in the college football playoff sure depending on the coach to get you over the 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 hump there think about juju and adori and sam darnold i'm just saying i mean chris peterson got washington there with less talent so if they would have made, since he was one of the people that was in the running when they decided to hire Steve Sarkeesian, if they hired Chris Peterson at that time, do you not believe that the USC would have also made it to the college football playoff in that time? Yes. Now, do they get over the hump? That's always a big question. You know, those big games can be tough. and Sure. But it's a hypothetical, and I'm going to take some, some leeway there. And if it's a competent AD, do they suddenly – realize that college football recruiting is changing and that they need to fund things better and and better recruits because of that you know you can go a lot of avenues with this question very creative maybe yeah i think they would be doing a lot better if they had first just with the, the athletic director if they had hired someone that had experience and you know just knew exactly the knew the ropes of being an athletic director besides just the fundraising portion of it then i think that they'd be going a long way a long way further than where they have been so far. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up, which is crazy. I was about to say there's a game, but there's not a game. Shotgun, what do I do? <laughs> no predictions. What one. do I do? No predictions. We can predict the Utah-Colorado if you want. I got Utah by a lot. I want some, some madness. It'd be fun for madness. Like I would love a close game. You know, that's what I'm rooting for, a close game. Everyone's, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's locked in like, oh, my USC might get in. Whether it goes whatever way, I don't. I don't really care. I'm predi- predicting, Laviska game winner catch. Oh, I'd be all about that action. Laviska, I, I just gotta say they're fighting for bowl eligibility in this game. Yeah, so was UCLA last week. So was USC against UCLA last year. Okay, sure. I'm just saying. As, when, when you're fighting for bowl eligibility, what does it tell you? You're not very good. As another Pac-12 coach has said. You play to win the game. <laughs> That's all I got to say. And Clay Helton said, you know, when he was talking about Colorado, he said he, it's a, it's a, 
you know, he likes the matchup because Steven Montes can get hot. They got receivers because they're going to face that man coverage. It's not just LaVisca. They also have Katie, uh, Katie Nixon and Brown. So they have some weapons, kind of like USC, that maybe they can attack that man-to-man coverage. You know, we'll see how that kind of plays out, but... You never know. I'm taking Keaton Slovis over Steven Montes because it's what happened in sure. Boulder. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. see. A little chaos, never <laughs> heard anything. True. It, it's college football also. If you remember like when West Virginia was a top two team and got beat by, I don't even remember who they got beat, Pat White and... Uh, West Virginia. Pat White and I can't remember the running back now, but Steve West Slayton. Virginia. Pat White and Steve Slayton. I was all about that team. That was Rich Rod. It was such a fun team to watch. And Steve Slayton got hurt in the game, and it all fell apart. They had a top-two team that could have been in the national title game I instead. I mean, ASU just upset Oregon. Like, I, I'm just saying. I'm just but saying. Utah you is – You never know. That's all I'm saying. Utah is really good, I think. Their defense is really good. Sure. I, I'm Teams just, with really good defenses you don't get upset know, like that. Shotgun. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. We'll see. But stay tuned. We'll know more things. That's the bottom line. We will know more than we do now in a week. So we shall see the theme of the last couple of weeks. That's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.